You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by the 90 Min Football Network. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simu. And on this edition, we're going to be continuing to react to Arsenal's Carabao Cup semi-final exit. But we're going to be focusing more so on the situation at the club in general at the moment. Because as I said on last night's post-match reaction show, although I'm upset, disappointed, frustrated, at the fact that we failed to qualify for the final of this season's Carabao Cup, I'm more concerned and more worried about the bigger picture. I'm more worried about the fact that we seem to see very little or have seen very little in terms of progress in acquiring some transfer targets. I think that Arteta's squad has been paper thin for quite a while, maybe not always in terms of numbers, but in terms of quality. And now we're trying to reduce those numbers clearly to make way and make space for other players to come in. But we're doing it at a really key point in the season. And we haven't done enough, in my opinion, to make sure that we protect ourselves against the risk of being caught out, against the risk of being left threadbare and thin. And and we're seeing that now kind of come to fruition. Um, So I want to talk about transfers. I want to talk about... um, the fitness issues that we've got, the red card issues that constantly seem to haunt us. And normally what I do when I go to a game is I normally come home, uh, have a quick glance at the the very short highlight reels that do the rounds, jump on here, give you guys my instant feedback. And then I normally watch the game back the next morning and then try and form some perhaps more informed opinions off of the back of that. Now, This morning, I did get up. I did stick the game on, uh, but I kind of skim watched it because I found it really hard to watch. It was really difficult to watch because of how off the boil Arsenal felt to me. You know, it wasn't a lack of trying. It wasn't a, um, you know, I don't think it was the manager having a tactical howler or anything like that. I just felt that we were um, just not at the races. And, and there were some decisions that Mikel Arteta made that I thought were questionable. And having watched the game back again and having thought about it a little bit more, uh, you know, I've got some slightly different views and, and views that maybe I didn't, you know, particularly think of or come up with at the time of recording last night, but some kind of further observations that I want to share with you guys. But first of all, I think we need to address the whole transfer window situation, okay? Because we're in the transfer window. We know there's around about 10 days left of the transfer window. And we know that Arsenal are in desperate need of doing some business. Now, we've put ourselves in a position where we can't get by. It's very unlikely that we're going to be able to get by and achieve all of our objectives and make sure that we maintain a certain level of performance regularly with the group that we have. You know, we knew that the um, the transfer window uh, was going to come around in January. We knew that the African Cup of Nations was going to come around in January. And so there's no excuse for not accommodating for the fact that we were going to be without both Thomas Partey and Mohamed Elneny. We knew that Ainsley Maitland-Niles and a potential exit for him was on the cards from a while back. Mikel Arteta has alluded to that himself. He's spoken about the fact that Maitland-Niles went to him and told him that he'd give it up until December sort of time and then decide based on how it was going, whether he wanted to be at the club or not any longer. So a lot of these problems have been bubbling under the surface for a long time. And that, for me, makes it inexcusable when you don't deal with them. Now, why have Arsenal failed to deal with them? And I'm and I'm not look, I'm not saying this is acceptable. I don't think it's acceptable. I'm incredibly frustrated and, and disappointed with um, where we find ourselves now and, and the fact that we are so short in certain areas. And, and I'm really pissed off in particular about the things that we've done that haven't helped us in that. You know, picking up COVID cases, injuries, that can sometimes be out of your hands. But leaving the squad short is something very much of our own making. So 
I want to highlight those things. I want to talk about those things. I know a lot of people say that I'm very pro Mikel Arteta and very pro Edu and that I would never say a bad word about them because I'm not abusive towards them doesn't mean that I don't see things that I disagree with. And I think, as I say, leaving us in this situation is a, is a massive red flag for me. Are we in a place as Arsenal Football Club where Mikel and Edu, obviously, you know, without us knowing, have been told that they need to move players out to be able to create space to bring players in with regard to the budgets, the funds that are available, potentially. Uh, you know, you think about the fact that we've allowed, say, Kalasinac to move on, had his contract terminated. He was a big resource drainer, £100,000 a week. Um, we're now talking about the possibility of Bern Leno leaving the club during this window, which has supposedly prompted the talks for New England Revolution's Matt Turner. Um, you know, is is that another power play from Arsenal to reduce that wage bill significantly in order to accommodate a new signing, a new blockbuster signing? Remember that Bern Leno is also on a substantial amount of money. We've moved Pablo Marie out on loan to Udinese. I don't know exactly what they would be, if anything, covering in terms of his wages. Um, but you feel like Arsenal are making room. And and it's a bit like what we went through at the beginning of Mikel Arteta's tenure. If you remember, we were the first thing we said was we need a manager to come in and kill and get rid of all the, the dead wood and move it out. And then we, we had to wait for that to happen. It wasn't as easy as we'd have hoped. There wasn't as much interest in a lot of those players as we'd have hoped. And we ended up in a situation where we had to plug a few gaps. We brought in a few players who were clearly not part of the long-term plan. What I'm saying is we had to wait until last summer to really go and splash out and recruit players that we felt were representative of the future and the arsenal that we want to see in the coming years. And I just wonder if that was kind of step A, step B was bringing in those players. And now we have to revert back to step A before we can move to plan B again with regards to recruiting. Now, although there was some money thrown about in the summer, you've got to remember that this club is still owned by KSE, that the operating model, to our knowledge, hasn't changed dramatically. We're not in a place now uh, just because we spent a bit of money last summer where we don't have to worry about balancing the books or we're not going to be concerned by what we're throwing out there in terms of the transfer market. It feels to me very much like this is a bit of a cycle. You get rid, you bring refreshments in. You get rid of players that you don't feel are part of the future and you replace them with longer term uh, sort of projects in terms of players. And I feel like we may be at that point again and that's why this window has been incredibly frustrating. Look, I stick to what I said at the beginning of the window, and I stick to what I said at the beginning of the season, I felt like the majority of Arsenal's recruitment uh, was done in the summer, and I, I didn't feel that there was going to be anything major done in January. But as I've said time and time again, I think circumstances in the situations that have developed at Arsenal have put us in a place where we probably do need to recruit and actually quite we need to quite go quite big on this and we need to go quite big on this because of our striker situation that's a massive massive issue I think last night as I mentioned on the, the post-match show shone the light on on what it is that Lacazette doesn't bring to the team brings a lot to it and is a good option off of the bench as an impact player or someone that you want to keep in and around the squad because of his positive influence on some of those younger players but he clearly isn't someone that um is the full package. And so with Aubameyang being frozen out, that's increased the need for Arsenal to go out and bring in a striker. I mean, the idea of playing for the remainder of the season with um, Lacazette as your number one striker and Eddie Nketiah playing second fiddle, that scares me, that worries me, that concerns me. And it's a huge reason as to why if we don't do something this window, we could find ourselves regretting it come the end of the season. Then you look at the midfield situation and again, we've got serious problems. And although, you know, we had to deal with the AFCON, Thomas Partey returns um, and we should have had him available for Sunday. We're now in a position where ill-discipline, uh, not just from Thomas Partey, but from Granit Xhaka too, has meant that our first choice midfield is unavailable for what's going to be a key Premier League fixture coming up on Sunday. So, it's, it's just it's like there's been an element of bad luck in there as well. But a lot of these problems are, are of our own making. And I think where a lot of people have kind of gone, 
well, you know, it's Arteta and Edu to blame for the fact that the squad is so thin. I think they have a part to play in that. And I think they are as responsible as anybody else. But let's not overlook the fact that Granit Xhaka getting himself sent off has put us in a shit position. Let's not overlook the fact that Thomas Partey made a challenge at 2-0 down yesterday that he didn't need to make. And actually, he was probably lucky that he didn't get straight red for that. You know, let's not forget that those players have put us in an even more difficult position by getting suspensions for silly actions. And I think this is the, the issue, right? I think we're always very quick to throw the blame in one direction or another. And actually, it's a culmination of factors that has put us in this situation that we find ourselves in now. If we move on and talk a little bit about the the reports at the moment doing the rounds with regards to Matt Turner. Now, there's been some contradictory information on this floating around on the Twitter sphere this morning. I've seen some suggest that Arsenal have already lodged a bid to the New England Revolution for Matt Turner, 27-year-old goalkeeper, uh, part of the US men's national team set up. And I've got to be honest, I don't know anything about him. I, I haven't watched him. I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I'm an expert uh, in the MLS goalkeeping field. So, you know, if you want to do a little bit of research on that, you know, I will be as those rumours and links develop over the coming days and I'll relay that stuff to you guys. But at this moment in time, it just baffles me that the only advanced conversation we're involved in, to our knowledge, is to do with the goalkeeper. And actually, I'd argue that we've got two pretty good goalkeepers at the club. Now, does Burn Leno want to leave? Have we had a tempting offer for Burn Leno that has perhaps, um, you know, I guess triggered Arsenal into moving into the market to look for a goalkeeper, possibly? But then that kind of feeds in again, doesn't it, with what I was saying a little bit earlier on about the fact that we kind of seem to have forgotten that there is probably still, based on the way we operate as a football club, a need to move players on need to get players off the wage bill before we can go big on some of the targets that the fans would like to see us bring in through the door. So, yeah, I mean, has that Leno thing prompted this? If it is true, you probably argue it has. I understand Burn Leno's situation. I understand his position. He's too good a goalkeeper to be playing second fiddle, but he's not better than Aaron Ramsdale for me. And because of that, you know, Mikel Arteta has a difficult, had a difficult decision to make earlier in the season. He made it. For the most part, Aaron Ramsdale was proven him right in making that decision. But there was always going to come a point, wasn't there, where Bern Leno was going to push for a move, where somebody was going to look at his situation and feel this is an opportunity for us to capitalise on and it's an opportunity for us to get in a top goalkeeper um, who's, who's out of favour elsewhere. So these situations were all... The, the, the point I keep going back to is the situation in midfield, the situation up front and the situation with regards to the goalkeeping position right now are situations that have been on the stove, almost cooking, if you like, for a while. And we finally got to the point where some of those situations are boiling over. And now Arsenal are in a position where they need to deal with them correctly and in the right way. Otherwise, uh, we could end up, you know, looking embarrassed and looking quite silly come the end of the campaign. There's also been some more talk around Dusan Vlavic and, you know, the rumours and, and reports with regards to him. What is going on with him? Are Arsenal still trying for him? The last that I've heard is that Arsenal are still trying, still trying desperately to bring Dusan Vlavic in during this window, that Fiorentina have no issue with the amount of money that's being talked about by Arsenal Football Club. I've been told that um, that no bid has gone in uh, and, and that actually there's just some ongoing discussion, although that's not really progressed since the start of the month. What we're also hearing from the Fiorentina general director in an interview that he gave last night is that there is no offer on the table currently from Juventus. And a lot of Arsenal fans had feared that Juventus were going to come and steal in and take the player away, a club that he's rumoured to prefer over a move to Arsenal. But according to the Fiorentina general director, there is no uh, no offer there. Um, also, um, we're hearing from Fiorentina that they've been in contact with an English club 
but that the player and his agent are not responding, that they don't want to talk about the situation at this moment in time, which then feeds into that story and, and rumour that had been doing the rounds recently with regards to him potentially not wanting to join Arsenal and that maybe being the sticking point. So, you know, it's it's. I think we're going to look quite stupid and, and we're going to have egg on our faces if we try and try and try and try to bring in Dusan Vlavic from the start of the window right up until the end, and we fail to do so. Not because, you know, we're, we should be able to acquire every single target we move for. As I've said before, I think Arsenal fans have been quite unrealistic in their sort of assessment of, of Vlavic's character off the back of these rumours that he doesn't want to join the club. You know, why, why would he jump at the opportunity? I know for us, this is a wonderful football club because we remember the history and we feel a connection to that football club. But someone who doesn't have that link will look at Arsenal's current situation and say, not guaranteed Champions League football. I might not even be guaranteed Europa League football at this football club. The biggest possible attraction is that it's the Premier League. Another big attraction is that it's in London. And of course, financially, you'd think that Arsenal would make this deal very much worth Dusan Vlavic's um, while. But it's not just about that. You know, it's about what he sees as his next step in his career. And the fact that, you know, Fiorentino are making noises about the agent and the player not being responsive, I think is is quite unsurprising. You know, to me, it's not a surprise. But also, I would always say that you need to take what Fiorentina say with a pinch of salt in the public because they've been very clear and, and very willing at times to almost throw Dusan Vlavic under the bus uh, with regards to his future. And, and at times that's seen the Viola supporters turn on him. Um, it's, it's, it's classic games, mind games, whatever you want to call it. Uh, it happens a lot in Italian football, more so than it does here. And this is a classic example of that. So while I would say that there's a, a good, strong possibility that Vlavic is and his agents are not responding to this, this talk because they have no interest, in um, in signing with Arsenal, there's a good chance that a lot of this is hot air as well. And, and we have to be careful at times not to kind of get carried away one way or another when that stuff comes around. Um, let's see uh, what's going on, on on Twitter at the moment, because a few of you just saying in the chat um, that Fabrizio Romano um, has uh, has tweeted about the Dusan Vlavic situation. Let me just share this with you on the screen. It's basically um, a kind of recap of what I just told you uh, in terms of the noises coming out of Fiorentino. I, I was obviously uh, paraphrasing, but here is uh, the quotes from Fabrizio Romano. He says, uh, this comes from the Fiorentina CEO, Baron. He says, some English clubs asked us for Vlavic, but there's no agreement. We're here available, which suggests that they're, of course, open to doing a deal. He also goes on to say there are no updates or communications from Vlavic or his agents. Zero. There are not even contacts with them. It's always the same. So again, Fiorentina taking a swipe at Vlavic's representation and the player to a degree. And again, this feeds into what I was just saying. There is this kind of um, sort of bad blood between the Fiorentina ownership and hierarchy and Dusan Vlavic's representatives and perhaps a little bit of, of resentment towards him as well because of the way this is all being handled. So it makes me feel like they could be saying stuff to paint them in a bad picture. Um, you know, they could be saying it because it's true as well, but it feels like there's a, a willingness from Fiorentina to throw those guys under the bus at any given opportunity. And as I say, as a consequence of that, uh, we should probably kind of take everything that we're hearing right now with a pinch of salt. So we've talked about the goalkeeper link. Matt Turner, 27-year-old New England Revolution goalkeeper, has been linked with a move to Arsenal. And a lot of people are kind of suggesting that that is a consequence of some interest in Burn Leno. One of the clubs that's been mentioned is, of course, Newcastle United, who we know are not short of a few quid. Um, we've talked about the Vlavic stuff. The midfield is is obviously a big issue. And, and obviously, when those suspensions have been served, the suspension to Granit Xhaka. Uh, he's got one game remaining. It's the game against Burnley. And then when Thomas Partey returns after he misses Burnley, the midfield situation eases up. You know, Mohamed Elneny will be back by then as well. Of course, Arsenal with just two games on the 
schedule on the calendar right now for the month of February. So although I think that we still need to bring in a midfielder, and this is not something that I've just come up with as um, a kind of reactionary stance recently. If you go back to the shows that I did during the summer transfer window, I kept saying, you know, yes, we've done some good business. Yes, we've done some promising business, but I did feel that we missed the trick in the middle of the park and, and we missed the trick in not bringing someone in. And when you consider that El Nenny's future's up in the air, that, you know, that, that we've allowed Ainsley Maitland-Niles to go actually, you know, beyond Xhaka and Partey, we've got Lakonga there who's young and is developing, but we don't have a great deal of depth there. Um, so I think the midfield situation, although I would have said it's a priority and I do think it's a priority. I think Arsenal will be reluctant to break the bank and do something they're not completely on board with um, because of the fact that we're, what, a week away from getting those players back. I think they'll feel that they can get by in the interim. You know, others will disagree and, and that's fine as well. But I think, for example, if Arsenal are serious about our tour and they're being asked to commit to an obligation to buy clause or they're being asked to commit a huge chunk of uh, of wages in terms of what they're contributing to that, or they're being asked to contribute um, a you know a big sort of loan fee, then I think Arsenal will think twice about that. And I and I can see a situation, even though I disagree with it, I can see a situation whereby Arsenal go well. We're a week away from getting those players back. Actually, we don't need to bring in a midfielder now. It's not the priority. But my kind of mindset on this has shifted as those players have started to return, as, um, you know, the uh, Thomas Partey's AFCON campaign come to an early end. And the fact that, you know, Granit Xhaka is now just a game away from returning. The thing that comes into my mind or, or you know, or the thing I'm thinking about, and perhaps it's a, a reason for my stance potentially shifting, is that I looked at last night and it was just so clear that in terms of a striker, we're still a million miles away. And now what do you do with that? You know, obviously there's a, an interest in Vlavic. The longer this goes on and the closer we get to the back end of the window, the more you feel it might not happen. But it does this, you know, and does a potential failure to bring him in, open the door for Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang to return to the picture. Aubameyang being linked with a move to Al Nasser in Saudi Arabia with a loan deal. Uh, and an obli uh, an option uh, an obligation sorry clause for them to purchase him at the end of it now for arsenal the money that they'd get for Aubameyang in the summer feels quite insignificant i've been told that it's between 5 and 7 million pounds which is not a lot of money but it's not about the money coming in it's what it means in terms of money going out and getting pierre emerick Aubameyang off of your wage bill for next season, because remember, he's got another year on his contract, could potentially open up, uh, you know, open up some funds or, or free up some funds is the term I should use to to allow us to go and get the likes of Vlavic and meet his demands or, or anybody else that we feel um, is uh, is right. You know, I, I don't know. You know, uh, Sam Tonk says that Ornstein has said that Aubameyang coming back is unlikely because there's been too much water gone under the bridge. And, and I feel like that as well. I find it hard to believe that he'll just be welcomed back into the fray with open arms. But it's so clear that in Lacazette and Nketiah, we don't have the quality uh, to compete at the level we want to be at. And I, I would say that, you know, maybe if Lacazette Touchwood didn't pick up any injuries and play to something close to his maximum, a large percentage of the time, we'd have a chance of finishing in the top six. But I don't think either of the, the current options give us what we need to finish in the top four. And again, you know, when I go back to what I was saying at the start of the season and, and the, the kind of stance I've taken consistently throughout this season, I've always said that for me, top four is the absolute maximum. And if you achieve that, you, you can't really dig this team out or the manager out for anything because I think they'd have done their job and they'd have done their job very, very well. But, you know... The, the fact that United have been really poor and have had to fire a manager mid-season and replace him with another manager who has come in and some people say has done a good job. I don't think he's done a bad job, Ralph Ranić, but I don't think he's done an awful lot in terms of fixing some of the issues that they had. And then you consider that Tottenham too also had to sack a manager, brought in Antonio Conte and up until now, and I know we've still got 
10 or so days remaining of the window, haven't really backed him um, in January, you'd have said that this was a good opportunity. You know, Chelsea dropping off in form as well. And all of a sudden, the fourth place is up for grabs. But, you know, I would say this, you know, you you can adjust expectations over the course of the season. I always say this, but you shouldn't go back and rip up the ones you had at the start of the season because they're the ones that you made with a clear head. They're the ones that you made when you weren't being biased based on circumstances surrounding other clubs. And and I would say that, you know, a top six finish should have been Arsenal's aim at the start of the season. Top four would be great. Anything below sixth place for me is unacceptable. And then there will be serious questions about the manager for me. And there'll be serious questions around whether this project will ever work because we're uh, quite a way into it now. And, and, you know, while there's been sort of hints and signs that we're moving in the right direction, it's not always been good. And there's been some mismanagement with the way we've dealt with the squad as well, with the way we've dealt with some disciplinary issues. There's been other causes for concern kind of outside of the football pitch and the parameters of, of the Emirates Stadium field. So, yeah, lots and lots to think about. I want to get some of your questions in. So please, uh, please do pop your questions in the live chat box. Stick a cue at the beginning of them. It just makes it easier for me to pick them out. Um, if you are listening via the audio platforms, uh, here's a quick message with regards to our sponsors, Athletic Greens. Welcome back to part two of the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simu. And on uh, this edition, we're talking all things Arsenal. We're talking the defeat to Liverpool. We're talking the midfield situation, the striker situation, the mismanagement, uh, perhaps a need. I don't know if that is the case to move players out before we can bring players in. We've spoken about the latest on Dusan Vlavic as well. We've established that perhaps too much water has, has gone under the bridge with regards to Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, which means a return for him uh, into the side is unlikely. Don't know. Um, but lots and lots to to kind of mull over and think about in the aftermath of that defeat at Emirates Stadium on Thursday night. But we're going to take some of your questions uh, now. Actually, do you know what? Before we take your questions, I've got to do this because as a lot of you know, I missed my wife's birthday yesterday to go down to Emirates Stadium. I missed my wife's birthday to go down to Emirates Stadium. I chose the semi-final over my wife. Um, and naturally, she wasn't best pleased about it. So I have to do something to try and make it up to her. Um, and, and I've decided that I'm going to give her a little shout out on this episode of the podcast, and I'm going to give her and her wonderful business partner a shout out for some of the brilliant work that they're doing. And for those of you who have been in the situation where you've upset or, or, or irritated your missus, you know that the best way uh, to get out of it is to shower them with gifts. And with Valentine's Day just around the corner, uh, I just want to draw your attention uh, to some of the brilliant work that they're doing over with their company, uh, G London, where they're making um, uh, all sorts of uh, products, skincare products, bath products, um, candles, all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, it's it's a it's brilliant stuff. It's really well made. It's handmade, um, and it's available to buy online. You just visit their website, which is g-london.com. You can also find them on Instagram as well, uh, and that is gi.ldn. So please do uh, check them out. Valentine's Day is just around the corner, and they've got a huge January sale on. It's their biggest sale ever. So you can save yourself quite a bit of money on some of their fantastic products. And uh, if you're like me, you, you'll have learned over the years uh, that if you uh, if you shower them with gifts, it doesn't always rectify it because they'll store it and they'll bring it up at another time. But it does go a long way in fixing things. So head over. Uh, there you go. And, and some of you are calling it a shameless plug to get back into the good books. It absolutely is. And I make no apologies for it. So check out uh, G London. I'll leave the link in the description as well. And um, get ahead of the game. Order your missus a, a Valentine's Day gift. And uh, and uh, that way you won't forget. There you go. <laughs> good stuff. Right. Let's uh, let's go back uh, to the questions. Uh, apologies for the delay, but I had to do that. I had to get it in. Uh, right. Let's see what we've got. Uh, Guna Legend says, um, why don't we formally bid for Vlavic to force a decision? It feels like we're nervous about being formally turned down. So I think that the way this works, mate, is that 
a lot of the time when clubs make a formal bid, they know what the outcome of that bid is going to be prior to actually going through the bother uh, of the paperwork side of things. So what I'm trying to say is I think the, the discussions normally take place and then a club knows um, whether or not that's, you know, they, they know what the selling point is. They know what it is they need to offer. They know what it is, how much they need to pay. And a lot of the time when they submit bids that get rejected, they're submitting them not because they think it's going to get accepted or that that uh, seller is going to change their mind, but they do it to make it public, to, to formalise the matter, to, as you say, apply pressure. But I don't think in this instance there's a problem with Fiorentina. I don't think there's an instance, uh, an, in, sorry, I don't think there's an issue with meeting Fiorentina's demands. I think Arsenal have been... Um, in conversations with them, you know, that's been confirmed by the general director. I think that what it is, is that the the ball is with the, you know, is in the player and his agent's court. And I think Arsenal maybe don't want to submit a bid until they get some indication that it's something that will be entertained. I mean, why would you submit the bid and go through all the headache of submitting the bid and then having that where people go, oh, look, Arsenal submitted a bid and they got turned away. Why would you go through all that if you've had no indication that, you know, there is even interest from the other party? And I think in football, more than any other industry, there's obviously a lot of scrutiny on all the business you do. We're talking about huge sums of money. We're talking about huge value. And what that means to me is that it's impossible to imagine that there wouldn't be discussions going on behind the scenes or or, or kind of testing of the waters before we move along on these things. So I think that Arsenal don't have a problem with Fiorentina. I don't think Fiorentina have a problem with Arsenal and, and the amount of money being talked about, which is why Arsenal, in my opinion, haven't submitted a formal offer until they hear something with regards to the player and, and his representatives. Um, don't make the bid. You didn't get rejected. I guess, I guess that's kind of it. But yeah. Uh, John Daly says, where is the best place to take the wife after the match on Sunday for a nice meal? Uh, it depends what you're after, mate. Let me know what type of cuisine it is you're after. And I'm sure I can give you uh, a recommendation. If you're talking about right around Arsenal, though, uh, there isn't all that much that I would recommend. You'd probably have to go away a little bit um, or, or come out a little bit from that particular area. But let me know. Um, maybe someone else will, will know better than me. Uh, Matt G says, Harry, we talk a lot about the positive impact Laka has on the team. Does a striker who doesn't score enough goals have that much of a positive impact? Um, I think that he does have some positive impact. I, I, I was really critical of him last night. And this is kind of, I've always kind of known deep down that there's not quite enough from Laka yet. That means we can always rely on him week in, week out to be that man who leads the line. I think what he does do is he brings out more from Saka, Smith Rowe, maybe Odegaard, Martinelli than Aubameyang does because of his style of play. It's it's unselfish. It's dropping into deeper positions. A lot of the time when he drops into those deeper positions, it creates the channels that Saka and Martinelli can drive into from those wider starting positions. And they benefit from that. But you know, he doesn't score enough goals. He never has. And and that's always been a bit of an issue. And I think, you know, somebody like Roberto Firmino is a, is a really good example, right? He's He's got so much to offer in terms of build-up play, always has for Liverpool. But what's prevented him going to the very elite level is that he doesn't score enough goals. For a player who, score, who plays centre-forward in a team that scores as many goals as Liverpool do, Roberto Firmino doesn't contribute enough. And what they've done is they've gone out and brought in Diogo Jota, who's come in, does a lot of the work that Firmino does. Not all of it, though. His build-up play isn't as good as Firmino's, but he's added goals to that position. And that's enhanced Liverpool's front line even further. And you've seen, I know they both played yesterday because of the AFCON absences, but you've seen quite often this season, Jurgen Klopp opt for Jota through the middle as opposed to Firmino. And that's because there will come a point where you know, you need to contribute a certain amount of goals as well to be pulling your weight in that front three. Um, so, yeah, it's, um, you know, it's it's one of those things where I do think he brings a lot of positives, but 
he first of all fitness wise he's not up to doing it for 90 minutes every single game he, he's he's out on his feet all the time he looks really sort of tired and and as if he's lacking in sharpness so quickly in games and second of all the lack of goals is obviously not helpful um so I, I, as going back to your point Matt I've gone around in circles a little bit I do think he brings some things to the team and I think it's unfair to dismiss those things but he's not good enough for the long term um I think that's that's clear. Uh, Kev says, um, what about going for Ossiman instead of Vlavic? Now he's back from injury. See, this. I, I'm glad this one come up next because, see, I don't think Ossiman gives you enough in the build-up. And, and this is where Ossiman will score you goals, but then he doesn't give you enough in the build-up. And Arsenal are looking for something in between, I think. And um, this is the difficulty, right? It means you can only move for a very select group of strikers who seem to tick a lot of boxes. And, you know, I'm worried about Ossiman and his injuries. And I wonder if um, we're going to see a bit of a trend there. Plus, if you think that Fiorentina and Vlavic are difficult to deal with, uh, De Laurentiis of, of Napoli is is in a league of his own. Uh, Russ Morgan says that, why do we have such an issue with discipline? Honestly, don't know. Um, was asked this question on the 90 min gas tank earlier on today, and I really don't know. You know, somebody asked me if I should be pointing the finger at Mikel or if I should be pointing the finger at the players. And I think it's it's got to be with the players, right? I mean, nobody, Mikel didn't shout across the pitch to Thomas Partey to make a needless challenge late on in the game that would see him get sent off. Um, that's a, a decision that the player makes. You know, he didn't call for Granit Xhaka to Cobra Kai kick the, um, the uh, Liverpool attacker in the first leg. A lot of these decisions are, rest on the player's shoulders. I think... What we're seeing is in, in trying to extract more aggression from this Arsenal side, which we all agree was necessary, we've seen a lot of those players then struggle to contain that and, and struggle to cope with understanding when and where are the places to be exerting that aggression and when there are times where you need to hold back a little bit. I mean, Lacazette's a prime example, right? Yesterday gets a yellow card, um, you know, always in people's faces, always hustling and bustling in and around. Uh, the midfield and, and beyond. And he got a yellow card yesterday and then continued in that fashion. And as I was saying to some of the guys earlier, if you tell Lacazette not to play with that aggression, not to press, not to haggle the way he did, then you might as well not have him in the team. So there's a fine line between getting the aggression levels that you need out of these players, but then them having that maturity to be able to contain it at the right moments. And I just think we've, we've been really, really bad at that. And um, it seems to be the same people over and over again in a lot of instances. I'm not going to go too big on Thomas Partey because he doesn't do it regularly, but, you know, Granit Xhaka is someone that clearly struggles with that. Um, I think Lacazette struggles with it quite a bit. He's picked up an awful lot of bookings. Um, for a centre-forward, you know, by everybody else's standards. But it, again, you know, it's it's very difficult to find that balance between, as I say, getting them to play in a certain way and press aggressively and, and really getting in people's faces and preventing teams finding their rhythm against us. But then you also don't want to clip their wings and say, well, now you can't do this because we're worried about disciplinary issues. But it, it doesn't help when you go down to 10 men against anybody but it certainly doesn't help that these issues then go on to impact us in upcoming games. It's not like Partey got sent off last night. He left us for 10 men for however long it was at the end of that particular match. It's now an issue that we carry with us into the next game. When Granit Xhaka's case is an issue that we had to carry through a couple of games. So this is the big problem, right? These issues don't just impact us within a 90 minute period. They impact us for a period of time. Uh, let's take a few more of uh, your questions. <laughs> Harry's in the doghouse. You're a brave man, Harry. That's my man, Harry. I feel you. <laughs> uh, Crusader says, Mrs. H, please forgive Harry. <laughs> Good stuff. Um, what else have we got? What else have we got? Uh, Sam Tonk says, um, is Bruno Gimaraes a good option? I don't know enough about him or players like Renato Sanchez. And Arta, oh, sorry, our players like Renato Sanchez or Arta better. Um, look, I, from what I'm told, Bruno Gimaraes is a really good option, and and I've spoken a lot with Tom Canton 
on the Guna Talk TV, who's done a lot more research and due diligence around Bruno Guimaraes than I have. I'm not a massive um, viewer of French football, I've got to be honest. So my knowledge on Guimaraes is limited and it's solely based on what I've seen in European competition at times. Uh, but from what I'm told, he, he seems a very uh, realistic option and somebody that uh, could add something to this team. But it, it, it's, you know, again, I go back to that point. How much of Arsenal's lack of transfer activity so far is down to a lack of trying or a lack of wanting and how much of it is down to the fact that we have to move players on first and in order to balance that wage bill and I would argue that it's probably the latter I don't for a second believe that Mikel Arteta looks at that squad and thinks no we're good we don't need anything you know he, he might be very coy in his press conferences and he might keep his cards close to his chest but I fully believe um that Mikel Arteta is, is well aware of the work that he's doing. And um, as I said before, I think a lot of the business that would have originally been planned for the summer is in a place now where it's in the spotlight again because of the deficiencies and the absences that we've had to deal with. And I think in a lot of ways, we were almost accelerating the the, the activity that we wanted to do in the summer and trying to make it happen in January, which isn't going to be easy. Uh, what else have we got? Um, John Daly says Greek or Turkish anywhere in London. Uh, is it open on a Sunday? I think it is, but not till five. Try a place called the uh, Vrisagi in uh, Wood Green. Google it. You'll find it. Um, nice food. You could also go to Desiree in Cockfosters. Nice Greek food as well. Don't really know too much about, um, other places. Um, not an expert on on all cuisines, despite being as cultured as I am. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, Gentile recommends Pyberry Corner. Uh, Alex says the Chinese fish and chips down the road. Oh, I'm not sure about that. I've eaten there once and I wasn't a fan. Um, I haven't returned since to give it a fair judgment. But yeah. Uh, what else have we got? Uh, Deepak Patel says, was last night inevitable with our kids with KSC skimping? Will we ever become top four consistently? Will all managers experience that fate with kids? Look, the, the fact that they are kids is obviously a big, big thing, right? And and it shouldn't be overlooked. We're, we've got to be realistic about the route and approach that Arsenal have decided to take, which is a long-term approach. It's a rebuild. It's one based around the development of a, a group of young players who the club are hoping will develop at the same time and at the same rate. And that will culminate in Arsenal being a competitive side without having to spend because we can't and we won't or KSC can but they won't spend the kind of vast amounts of money that Man City and Chelsea spent so that's the approach that's the route they've decided to go down and as I keep saying if, if you're on board with that approach and a lot of people are and I think when you consider that we're never going to go and break the bank then that's the way to do it you got to accept that there'll be nights like last night where it was just simply men against boys. You know, somebody pointed it out to me when we were watching the game live. You know, every time you felt like Arsenal were gaining a bit of momentum in the game and the crowd was getting up and and, and getting behind the team and you felt as though Arsenal were moving forward and, and potentially en route to getting back into the game, Liverpool would just have this really dull spell of possession they'd get the ball down they'd control the game they'd take this thing out of the crowd and then they'd you know proceed to get, go about their business and I think you know that's the difference between experience you sometimes you, you just need to silence the crowd you don't every time you win the ball it's not about always you know particularly when you're one nil up going gung-ho and trying to find that goal that ultimately ends the contest sometimes it's about taking the sting out of your opponents and I think through experience you start to learn that. And I think Mikel Arteta as a manager through experience will hopefully start to learn that as well. A uh, big thank you to Sedi, who's become a YouTube member. Thank you uh, so, so much, mate. Really, really appreciate your support. Don't forget, if you want to become a member of the Chronicles of Aguna YouTube channel, uh, you can do so by clicking on the link in the description. And members will be given the opportunity to join me on our weekly members podcast, the information of which uh, will come over the weekend. We'll let you know when we're doing the next one. And I'll get three of you on with me and we'll rotate that round each week. Uh, Bedros says, why do our fans go overboard with criticism or praise? Completely agree. He says, people fall 
people have called Tom Yasu a Japanese Bellerin. Uh, Benjamin White was not the worst defensive player. Uh, he says Tierney was poor and so was Gabriel. I do think that we go um, we go too far one way or the other. I, look, I said it on the post-match show last night. Tommy Asu was was awful. That was the worst performance I've seen from Tommy Asu. Um, but that doesn't undo all the good things he's done. And it doesn't change the fact that overall he's been a very, very positive signing. And I think people struggle to differentiate between criticism based on one game, one event, one fixture and, and criticism in general. And, and for me, my criticism of, of Takahiro Tomiyasu yesterday was based on what I saw yesterday and nothing more than that. You know, he hadn't trained. We know that now. Um, you know, he was willing to play showed great dedication to the cause despite not training because he knew that Cedric and Chambers were out. So fair play to him, gave his best, but unfortunately it just wasn't good enough. Uh, let's see what else we've got. Um, let's see uh, what we've got. Do, 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 do. Uh, Kev says, Harry, do you think these flat inconsistent performances some weeks will be eradicated as time goes by, given it's quite a new team and young? We seem to be at it or flat, little in between. Yeah, I think consistency is a is something that comes from experience because you learn how to deal with certain situations and adapt to certain situations. And having that greater experience then helps you get over the line in certain games. Yeah, I, I do think I think consistency is always the biggest question mark around young players. You can see lots of talented young players burst onto the scene, look good with the ball at their feet, etc., etc. But then you go, you get to, you know, 2021 and, and now the challenge is, well, you've been a, a prospect and people have liked you and ranted and raved about you and, and seen certain highlights and feel that you're on, in the right direction. But now the big challenge and, and what makes a, a youngster into a man, in my opinion, is being able to deliver week in, week out. And uh, yeah, so I do think that's um, that's uh, important. Uh, let's see. I'm going to take a, a couple more um, questions from the chat before I go. Um, Harry Basson says, uh, hi, Harry. Do you think the refs are very quick to brandish yellows to Arsenal uh, while other teams get the rub of the green? 14 red cards for a team who gets told we're soft is a good point. Um, it is a really good point. But look, I think overall, I think we've been very unfortunate in some of the disciplinary issues we've faced. That, a lot of it is our fault and is of our own making. And I think you have to take responsibility for that. But I think there have been games where I felt like, especially Man City at home not too long ago, where it felt um, that, you know... <laughs> that we were unfairly treated. You know, Man City, it felt like Arsenal players made a challenge straight into the book. Man City players, Rodri in particular, could walk around the pitch, kick the shit out of people, and, and there was never any consequence to that. Um, and that was obviously difficult to stomach, difficult to take. Uh, but I think, like, last night, you know, I think we could have really no complaints about um, the decision to send Thomas Partey off. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Arsenal legend says, Harry, this could be the downfall of Arsenal getting top four. Look, I'm not going to go as far as saying that the top four is off the table because we lost in the Carabao Cup semi-final against a team that everybody and their dog knows is better than us. I think that's overreactionary. But I would say that the way we're feeling right now um, is, is a consequence not just of last night's result and performance, but is a consequence of the fact that a lot of us have kind of seen this before. You know, we, we've seen us get to a point in the season, feel like we're in contention, not make right and smart decisions in key moments and end up paying for it later on. And I think a lot of people are feeling down and worried because of that distinct possibility kind of rearing its ugly head again. You know, so, yeah, it feels like it could be a pivotal point. Like if Arsenal can go out and do some business between now and the window closing, that gives the whole place and the squad a boost and a lift then all of a sudden everybody feels more optimistic again. And I do think that mood transmits um, across to the team as well. So, look, it's people are a bit down at the moment. People are a bit frustrated. People are, as I say, frustrated because of both the performance, the result and, and, and everything that's going on at the club right now. But I think it's in Arsenal's hands to, you know, to to lift that mood again. And we've got to do it quickly. I've always, I always say this, said it yesterday, repeating it again. Arsenal Football Club don't need to be the best team in England. They just need to be better than 16 of the teams in the Premier League to get into the top four. 
and we have the quality in a lot of areas to be better than a lot of those teams um but you know it, it means nothing if you don't deliver on it and we're in a really pivotal moment right now and you know there will be setbacks but as i keep saying everybody's going to drop points in this league everybody does i mean that's just the way it goes but what you need to do is is make sure and i, I always say this and i'll say it again you need to make sure that the dips don't turn into rots because a rot kills you and we had a rot mid uh right at the beginning of last season if you remember which meant that even though we outperformed what 18 17 of the rest of the premier league clubs in the second half of the season the damage was already done and we couldn't pull it back so what we've done better this season and the reason we're still in contention at this stage is because we've had setbacks and sometimes they've lasted a week sometimes they've lasted two three weeks but we've been able to then get back on track and go on runs. And when you look at Arsenal's upcoming fixtures, I'm not saying that they're easy. There is no such thing as an easy game in the Premier League. But you've got Burnley at home, which you expect to win. Wolves away is not going to be easy by any stretch of the imagination. But if you've got top four aspirations, you have to go and get a result there. Brentford at home, you'd say if you want to finish in the top four, it has to be a banker. Watford has to be a banker. Leicester at home, you'd fancy us giving their form this season. Villa away will be tough. Then Palace, Brighton. But these are sides that Arsenal, if you want to finish um, in those positions, these are fixtures you simply need to win. And just to reiterate that point, you know, we don't have to be perfect. Just have to be better than those teams we're competing with. And given what we discussed earlier on and the fact that a lot of those teams are nowhere near their best, you have to feel like we've got a chance. But, you know, there's a long way to go. There'll be a lot of twists. There'll be a lot of turns. I just feel like Arsenal could really boost everybody um, and the fan base if uh, if they went out and got some business done that would enhance the squad and hopefully take us in the right direction. Right, going to wrap up the podcast there. What is going on? There's over 200 of you watching us live on YouTube right now. We've only got 67 likes on the board. Come on, guys. Uh, let's get that up to 100 likes by the time the outro plays. That should be easily achievable. Uh, please do um, subscribe to the channel if you haven't done so already. Please do subscribe if you're listening via the podcast platforms. Leave us a review as well, particularly if you're on Apple Podcasts. Check out Athletic Greens. The link is in the description. And uh, go over and order something from my wife's website. Uh, when I tell her that uh, I missed her birthday because I had to be there for the Chronicles of Aguna, if she got a load of orders coming in. Uh, it would certainly uh, make her feel better. And uh, there's a there's a big sale on. So you can get your wife an, a nice Valentine's present, nice and early, not cutting it too fine. Got plenty of time to receive it. And uh, yeah, check it out. Right, I'll be back very, very soon with more. Until next time, goodbye. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.